Hi, this is Mark Iskowitz. I'm editor-at-large for MMM, and I'm super excited to be part of this episode of A100 Storycast, Storycast, a new podcast series which gives members of the MMM Agency 100 list an opportunity to expound on what sets them apart. In this episode, we're focusing on the agency Relevate Health and what clients can expect from an HCP engagement perspective when working with the agency. I'm delighted to be joined by two execs from Relevate Management, George C.D. Griffith, who is EVP Omnichannel Strategy, and Bob Brooks, who's VP of Customer Success. George and Bob, how are you? And welcome to MMM Storycast. Great. We're wonderful. Mark, thanks for having us. Yeah, Mark, thanks for having us. It's my absolute pleasure. Uh, it's great to talk to you, gentlemen. We've certainly been following Relevate's trajectory the last couple of years from bringing Arteric on board in December 2020, which was, of course, a digital marketing shop focused on pharma up through early 2022, which saw Axon Communications and Connection 360 come into the fold. And those additions kind of really rounded out Relevate's capabilities from the point of view of engaging HCPs and adding a lot of tools to the commercial armamentarium, if you will. So first question here for you, George, what would you say are the critical aspects of today's approach to HCP engagement that you leverage as you build a new brand strategy? I think there are three things that we want to focus on with brand. The first thing is we want to think about working across all the marketing job functions that can manage HCP engagement. So the people that manage peer-to-peer uh, or your speaker programs, folks that are managing non-personal or multimedia or the media agencies, and then the rep engagements. And that's not limited to under their social media teams, but we want to make sure we get all of the folks that have the opportunity to touch an HCP at the table. That's step one. The next step is how do we deliver content that is relevant through our HCP engagements? And by relevant, I mean a few things. One, how do we identify the key markets that your drug can win in? Not all markets are equal and some are not worth a brand's valuable resources to invest in. So we wanna find the right markets for a brand. Once the right markets are found and selected, how do we deliver content to the market that is relevant? Now, I understand that we're not going to go out and create new claims for a brand, but if we can create content around uh, disease prevalence, insurance coverage, things that would support the core brand and make it local market specific, now we start gaining more interest of those HCPs. We're starting to cut through the clutter. And then the final piece of the second step is how do we then select the right people to deliver that message to those local markets? Certainly a lot of times national thought leaders create influence, but a lot of times it's the local, the regional thought leader that can create influence by delivering those messages as well. So going back to step one, we've got all the brand team marketing job functions at the table. We've created the right way to talk to them through relevant conversations. And then the third thing is we want to think about how we deploy or trigger messaging to these target customers in a more precision manner. I think long gone are the days of what I call the spray and pray, where you you get a list and you throw it out there and you hope things come to life. Everything we do at Relevate Health right now, we want to figure out how to trigger it more intelligently, based, meaning it might be based off a diagnosis code, a diagnostic test, an NDC, search intent. There's some form of intelligence 
that a doctor has qualified for prior to us serving up a message to them. So I think the combination, again, when we go back to our approach to agency engagement, it's really, again, trying to get the right team members at the table, make sure we deliver messaging the right way, the right markets, the right local KOLs, the right content, and then deploying it in a more intelligent, precision manner. Sure. And, and the key there is, as you said, George, deploying it in a, in a precision manner. As the famous saying goes, you know, you, you have a marketing budget and if you could only figure out which part of that marketing budget was the most effective, you'd, you'd save a lot of money. So, uh, and you use data to kind of target that precisely. Bob, can you, you want to elaborate on that, given your, your background in, in data and analytics about how, how that's best accomplished? Sure. So our mission at Relevate Health is creating life-changing healthcare engagement. It's as simple as that. And being relevant, as, as George said, is the, is the driver and the fuel for what we do. For those who haven't seen it, there was a great report that Accenture came out with called the New Rules of Engagement. And I, I'd recommend people take a peek at this. Bottom line is that there's an opportunity to personalize the communication. And so as we execute local marketing at scale, it's all about ensuring a more customized or tailored message, really that is as close to personalized as possible. So in that report that Accenture had, they, they showed that eight out of 10 physicians are seeing a greater volume of content come their way digitally. The other 84% want a mix of either all virtual or virtual and in-person meetings. No one's saying, bring me back to all in-person meetings, that's for sure. The interesting part of that 84% is 38% want all virtual. So 38% of the 84% want all virtual meetings. So we know that we have to be relevant to increase engagement. There's no doubt about it. And then the other factoid that came out of this report that I find truly incredible is that 88% of physicians said that if they have a positive experience whatever that omni-channel experience is, 88% said that they are more, much more likely, actually twice as likely to engage in the future with that brand or organization. So it's our mission to ensure that we're creating content that's the right message, personalized ideally, or at least relevant to the receiver, to the HCP, whether they're a prescriber or not, and ensuring that it shows up at the right time, right channel, that's why we have right on as our tag. But bottom line is this personalization is going to be demanded as we go on because the further healthcare is behind on other industries, we're going to see, I believe, a major shift. We're already seeing it with HCPs and whether or not they engage with us. So personalization is key, as you, as you referenced that Accenture report. I think that was the source for the famous line that, you know, a lot of doctors feel like they're getting spammed these days. You know, the, the volume is up, but a lot of this content that they're seeing come across in a non-personal way is not relevant to them, uh, which speaks to your mission. George, talk a little bit more, if you would, about how you're leveraging that personalization and, you know, everything having a critical piece of data that's driving it to help HCPs get the critical information that they need to better treat their patients. So I will be speaking to you and the audience in numbers all the time. That's what I'm in the sense of, I always think of things in steps, how I build things out. So as far as the first step, it's critical to understand the best medium by which to deploy education and information to your target audience. And over the last 
20 years, starting with Connection 360, we built a network of some 800,000 plus HCPs that have participated in our programming. And when we do go to deploy a campaign, we try to use behavioral insights that we've gained over these 20 years to try to determine the best way to deliver that message. It's not perfect, but it at least gives us some insight into where to start Again, not just spraying and praying. There's some form of an intelligent beginning. So that's the first step. Second step is we deploy information and education, again, based upon a precision format. And you'll hear that, I think, throughout the day today is how can we intelligently do that? One thing I'll add to this is we've actually built a decision engine we call L. And L is short for elevated relevance. And it's something we're putting a lot of resources and energies into when Connection 360 and Relevate Health kind of met. One of the things that brought us together is our network of over 800,000 plus HCPs, plus this decision engine that we can marry together to really inform the next best decision. So we're taking the insights that we've gained over these 20 years, we're taking the local market, the right content, the right speakers, and marrying that data together. So everyone talks about omni-channel, but few are really doing omni-channel. Omni-channel builds on delivering the right message to a customer through their medium of choice, through precision message deployment, by then informing the most important next step. And that is, what do I show you based upon what you engaged with first? So I think if we continue to verbally, either through sales reps or digitally talk to our customers through a series of the right conversation engagement touch points, this is the key to delivering education and information today that I think can better help an HCP treat a patient tomorrow. And you, you talk about the, the marrying of the, of the database, you know, which is over 20 years of, you know, physicians who have engaged with Connection 360's content connected with the right speaker to deliver the message. And then you deliver that in an omni-channel fashion. That seems to be the, the formula for today. You know, you really summed it up, summed it up really nicely there. And omni-channel is uh, a lot of people seem to say that the industry accelerated its journey to omni-channel uh, over the last couple of years. To yeah. the degree that they've succeeded at it is another question, but they definitely have accelerated along that path. So, you know, given that's a good segue to the next question is <laughs> how, how can we ensure omni-channel success within this hybrid world, you know, where you said doctors want to sometimes engage virtually, sometimes they want, you know, 36% from the Accenture study say they want to engage in, in person at conferences. So what's working today in terms of omni-channel success? So again, my, my multi-step process that I take for omni-channel, step one, target list, pretty basic, but that's where you begin. You got to get a target list. Step two is you have that target list segmented by persona. It sounds basic, but not all brands have, you know, the persona built out for the right way to talk to each of those customers. Then step three, again, we layer on the precision multi-channel message deployment. And again, I'm not, I'm not missing omni-channel. Almost people feel like you can't use multi-channel anymore, like it's a, an old word, but you do uh, have right. to type of the right multiple channels that HCPs consume information. And then again, how do we deliver that through 
diagnosis codes, NDC, local markets, how do we make it more precision? Then comes the omni-channel layering on in this, with respect to now that we've delivered it, what is the next best informed action? And how do you make all of these touch points talk to each other? And you don't have to pick one vendor to give all the business to. I think if you get all your partners together and you set out your initiatives on the kitchen table, and you really have an open discussion about how these can talk to each other. And hey, are you getting physician level data from this you know, solution? Great. Would that make the right one to then inform the next best decision and we can connect it here? But that's one of the things that kind of leads me to my fifth and final point is not only is that not happening, but these marketing, these job functions are very siloed. So you might be working with the non-personal team and there's three or four vendors there but they're not all sharing how their information comes together. But what we should be doing and what happens at a lot of our smaller customers and where they can kind of beat a lot of these larger pharma companies is if you've got somebody that's managing peer-to-peer and they're on the phone with the rep enablement person and the non-personal and you're all having these calls together and you're talking about how all of the touch points can share across not just your silo touch points, but every day, even talking to the media agencies, you know, they're focused on non-personal and I, I get it, but I always go, what about the rep touch points that are coming out of Viva and that physician level data? What about all of the peer-to-peer live and virtual events? What are we doing with that to inform the next best action? So all of that should be layered together and there should be some purview over that to really do this in my way, the most successful way. Mm-hmm. Yeah. As, as you said, it's really a mosaic of touch points. None of them um, are going by the wayside, least of, least of all the, the rep, despite the fact that a lot is going virtual and hybrid, the rep still plays a big role. You know, granted, some pharma companies have downsized their field forces yet again, because they realize that the commercial models is evolving yet again. But speaking of the field force, how do we best enable them to engage their customers more effectively within the new realities of of this world. So let's take a step back prior to COVID and how reps could see their customers. And I would say 70% of call plan customers were able to be seen on a regular basis. So reps putting in their weekly calls were seeing key customers a few times a month. That was about 70%. 20% of call plan customers were ones that you would see once a month. And then finally, you had this 10% of customers that every rep's trying to talk to their sales ops team to get out of their territory because they're, they're no C doctors. Now, where are we now? So the 70% of routinely seen customers have moved down to about 30%. So drug reps every Sunday night or every you know week, they're putting in the same calls from the same 30% over and over again. The 20% of once per month customers have moved to 50% that they're now able to see once per month. And then finally, you've got this 10% of no seeds that have moved up to 20%. So what do you do? So we have to understand that the skill sets that made a rep great prior to COVID are now going to need to be upgraded to survive in this new hybrid world of engaging customers. So let's continue to use our, our HCP engagement percentages to wrap in better equipping the reps to engage their customers today. So for the 30% of customers I can see frequently as a rep, guess what? They are most likely seeing all of the other reps too. And this could come to a head soon and only the best of the best reps will survive the next cut 
of no reps no longer allowing to be seen on this 30% routine basis. So we need to move beyond the print visual aid or a PDF copy of this on a tablet and think that this is gonna work. There are new solutions available that can create true interactions on each call and make it such that a doctor sees value in the rep visit and in turn wants to see the rep again. For this 50% that I can only see once a quarter, the key is now twofold. One, how do I make my once per quarter call a great call? And what new tools can I use to create a more personalized engagement with this customer such that they want to engage more frequently? And second, how can I better engage my customers non-personally until the next appointment? We need to think beyond the generic rep-triggered email. There are much more sophisticated and personalized approaches to sales rep customer engagement that must be employed or reps risk losing this 50% of people they can see altogether. And kind of the final point to add to that is each 20% of folks since I've been a rep or since I was a rep in 1992 with SmithKline Beecham, there's always been no C. And the key to seeing them is creativity and personalization. It's same thing as it was then as it is now. So again, we as marketers and agencies need to arm the reps again with tools that can help them more personally reach out um, or have the brand teams more non-personally reach out. But the big take home is times have changed. And although we're back to seeing some customers in person, if brand teams don't arm their reps with new and modern solution, the rep of yesterday, it, we're really not going to win in today's market. Yeah. And, and there was another study that came out. We reported on a couple of weeks ago that showed that a lot of the digitization that occurred uh, was basically taking those glossy uh, lead behinds <laughs> yeah. and Make paper it, yeah. sales aids and, and, yeah. and making them digital. And those were launched, you know, because there was a rush on to just get everything online as soon as possible in March, 2020. Uh, and the, the, the failure rate was quite high on those digital products that launched during that time. And so I think your comments are very timely, very spot on, you know, George, that uh, now is the time to personalize and, and be creative and not just digitize. I think that's that's the message. Now let's turn to how you kind of measure success. And, and Bob, I'd like to get you to weigh in on this one. How should we measure the success of, of an omni-channel strategy with the HCP audience? What kind of KPI should we look for and kind of benchmarks? I'll do big picture and then George jump in with any specifics, but bottom line is there's activities and behaviors and we need to measure them both. So with activities, it's everything from exposures and interactions and what kind of activity are they having with a campaign or continuous connection that we're uh, personalizing with HCPs. And then the behaviors, of course, the prescribing behavior, TRX, NRX, things like that. Uh, the other reality as we move forward and move to more personalized messages and measurement, we need to look at finding ways to see what activities triggered the next step. So identify next best steps that the physicians are taking now with the information or activities or interactions you're putting in front of them across all channels, sorry, omni-channel, both on and offline, and, and, and ensure that we uncover the insights as we measure so that um, measures of success, activity and uh, prescribing behavior, but also there's an opportunity to optimize and, and uh, uncover new insights. And I believe that should be part of the success uh, framework as well. Did I miss anything, George? I'll add one thing to that, and that is physician level data. Right on. And that is, that is 
the mother load these days. And if you don't have that, you really can't inform your next best action. So anything that you're doing with any partner, including us, that's a question you need to be asking us and your partners is, do I get physician level data? What is the frequency by which I get physician level data? And can we use that to truly inform the next best action? I think we have a lot of these conversations around omni-channel almost just to hear ourselves talk, but we don't, we don't break it down to get in the weeds about how it really does work and how you have to map all of this out and how you have to lay it out. And it all begins with having physician level data in order to do that with. And when you say physician level data, George, can I get you to elaborate on that? You talk about NRX, TRX, that kind of thing. No, I'm, that's, that's what comes out of that. I would mean, let's say for instance, you're doing an EHR campaign and you're, you know, You've had a month's worth of impressions and you go, okay, what messages did they engage with based upon what triggered behaviors? What date was it timestamped that they did this? And now we want to take that physician level data from those impressions and what messages they engaged with and inform the next best action. And then let's say that you were doing something like a video on demand. Okay, who opened up the email? Who engaged with the video for how long? Based upon what they engaged with, what is our next best action? Where do we send them? So you can, as you said, once you've gathered all the physician level data, you can look to see if you made any good change happen, but you really can't even begin the works of creating an omni-channel campaign until you know what to send the next person based upon what they've done previously. If you don't have that position level data, you're just shooting in the dark. And you're not doing true omni-channel. And you're not. And that's, I mean, and that's what the humorous thing, you know, until we get that, you're really not doing anything at the end of the day. Mm-hmm. You know, you can invest in an initiative that doesn't have it and you can call it something else. But if you want to yeah. call it omni-channel, then that has to be one of the key tenets is you have position level data and you have a next best action. And that next best action can even be the rep doing something. It doesn't mean you have to be loaded with cash and to do it, brands can do omni-channel very inexpensively if they just put those tenets of behaviors. What did someone do? And based upon that, what do they do next? And how do we continue to keep them in our funnel to personalize mm-hmm. the communications? Sure, sure. And since we're getting into omni-channel and that next best action that's informed by the behavioral data in real time and kind of creating a feedback loop, um, I'd be fascinated to hear You know, what are some of the untold stories within the data, you know, some of the things that you learned in that physician level data that you then use to, um, in your decision engine to create the next best action when implementing an omni-channel program. How have the data really informed you in terms of future program optimization? You know, have you seen that kind of pull through? So the, the most exciting stories I, we've seen or I've seen with big data, teasing out language that will trigger action, the lexicon that our customers are using. We have a product that's a commercial lexical analysis tool, and we've helped many customers look at what are their competitors doing? What are they doing? What kind of unstructured and structured content is on the internet where customers are either uh, talking with each other peer-to-peer or placing questions in their queries. And what we've seen from multiple times we've done this in-depth analysis is that inevitably a brand team learns that there's some language that they're not using, that their customers are using. 
almost like back in the day when, <laughs> when Federal Express finally changed their name to FedEx because their customers were using it so much. What we've seen in multiple therapeutic categories is the language isn't quite aligned with how a pharmaceutical company or a device company is, is talking about their subcutaneous port, as an example. So if the consumer is, or if the HCP is calling it a port, then they need to start using that language in their materials, their resources, their tools. So it aligns with the, the language of their customers. The, the other thing that's interesting in, in big data is to uncover not only insights around language, but also we've, we've shown brand teams new market opportunities. With one particular client, we were able to use big data and analysis of big data to show them 18 markets where they were not maximizing their marketing activities, all because of what we were seeing online, the conversations that were happening online, both structured and unstructured conversations. And then, um, oh gosh, one more last thing. We looked at, for one brand team, over a year's worth of queries. Uh, and what we could tell, these were coming from healthcare professionals based on the, on the questions. We identified 15,000 questions that should have been answered by the brand team. They were brand-centric questions, 15,000 questions. Less than 4% of those questions that were being asked by HCPs, uh, less than 4% were being answered by the brand team with the content they had available online. So we used big data to tease out insights, uncover the language and uncover market opportunities and help brand teams better understand how they can make either minor or sometimes significant adjustments and how they're talking about their product and what their opportunity is and the benefits of that product and the opportunity to their customers so that they can create more relevant messages, which is what it's all about. Yeah. Yeah. Thanks for running through that. Really interesting stories within the data there, things that you can uncover that help to inform your um, omni-channel style of engagement. Let's hit on one or two other areas and then I'll let you go, uh, gentlemen. What are the greatest challenges you know, to, to getting to this next level of marketing? How are you seeing the, the biggest barriers to incorporating this kind of intelligence into a brand's overall uh, omni-channel strategy? So I spoke about it earlier, but if the audience is still listening, then they will, it'll truly help from an adult learning perspective, because <laughs> it is something that I really think is a challenge. And that is these marketing job function silos. Um, you have, again, your HCP marketer, your speaker program marketer, your non-personal, your social media marketer, and they all live in their own private Idaho's, if you would. And rarely are they getting together to share what they're doing. So you know, I've had the opportunity over the years to kind of work in rep enablement solutions that we brought. I've worked in non-personal, worked in peer to peer. And what you end up finding is you're becoming the person that's the vendor that's talking and going, hey, did you know they were doing this? And what if we put these together? Or A, you both are trying to buy the same thing. Could we more intelligently do this together? So at a smaller company, again, that's a huge advantage they have right now just because they don't have the headcount. So the first thing, again, that I would recommend big pharma, small companies, everybody get together and go, hey, how much money do we have for HCP engagement? Everybody's been talking about this omni-channel. Should we be doing this? What does that mean? Yeah, it should mean everything talks to each other. 
So should that start with us talking to each other? <laughs> yes, it should. So everybody begins to go, great, well, I'm doing this email thing. Are you doing an email thing too? Hey, we should we go to the same vendor and try to cut costs? Or should we, what are we doing? And it really is something as simple as that. If brand teams can create conversations with each other first, they can then create elegant conversations with their customers second. So that's the big obstacle I see. Yeah. Breaking down the silos, but which has been yeah. internally to get internally. Right. We're battling ourselves before we've been battling the maze and the labyrinth of the HCP engagement world. We've got to just get it right within our own, you know, marketing wheelhouse first. Yeah. I mean, do you see that realistically taking place uh, in the next 12 to 18 months? Like that's no. been a, that's been a big uh, sort of barrier for a long time, right? Yes, we can get together in 12 to 18 months. And I honestly don't think it, it will at all. I think it'll continue to be marketing will be done within these silos. So you'll see the peer-to-peer -peer marketers go, okay, we've had the speaker program. Maybe they're working with the rep and they're tying things. But the non-personal divide, the people that work in non-personal media, there's not a lot of interest in picking up the physician level data out of Viva and what the sales reps are doing. There's not a lot of interest in scraping what's happening at the peer to peer wow. programming level, or maybe there is, but it's just not what they seem to be focused right. on. Right. Right. I but, have but, a passion about it, but I'm a, you know, one man band sometimes. Sure. You can only yeah tell, tell them so many times, yeah. but uh, I know Bob, you want to, China, but yeah, um, I, but perhaps through this exercise, it will help those silos to come down somewhat. Go ahead, Bob. Yeah, yeah no. Well, George has hit it on the head where we we can help with that too, as as suppliers to industry, is help them basically integrate internally. But I believe that a lot of a lot of inspiration comes from other industries, and look at what Home Depot did. Just they they announced it over the just recently that they now have a customer experience person in the C-suite. So they've taken the CIO, shifted that person to be responsible for a customer experience. And I believe this is, this is what needs to happen in a lot of life science companies is to have, if not someone who's responsible for it, then build it into the personal development plans of everyone in the organization to work to have a single view of customer or work toward a single view of customer. Big data and as the data starts to shift from external suppliers potentially to uh, either centralized um, repositories, whether that's in blockchain or if that's within a pharmaceutical or a science healthcare company, the integrated data will over time, uh, I believe, push departments closer together. Maybe the silos will still be there, but they'll have the same insight, which is single view of customer. Sure. Yeah. So this this can have multiple positive knock-on effects, you know, th throughout the, the, the organizations. One last question is for, for you, Bob. Uh, you, you talked about the role of data in, in breaking down silos there. Uh, what about in the creative process? You know, how can this inform better messaging, better creative that's going to get an HCP to change their behavior, say? Right. Great question. Thank you. Um, when you look at great creative, it's typically built on a true customer insight. I remember back when I saw the research 
for Kellogg's when they decided to have a special K moment. That was when they had a woman in a mirror spin and that in a dress typically. And that was based on research that most people, when they are their thinner person, when they are their thinner, thinner self, have an outfit that they feel exceptional in. And they dubbed that the special K moment. And so eating special K every day helped you lose a few pounds so you can fit back into that perfect outfit. That insight drove the creative. So we know anyone that's helped lead creative or certainly been part of a brand team know that an insight drives the creative and should drive the creative. The other opportunity for using data is to optimize campaigns. So where I don't think the industry puts enough resources and funding is after the build. So after the campaign's release, let's optimize the campaign. Let's adjust it based on what we're seeing consumers or customers react to. Let's do some A-B testing. Let's, everything should be A-B tested. Um, and that optimization needs to, be, needs to happen. And so the data can obviously drive the optimization. And then the third part, which isn't done a lot, and I'm really excited that we've continued to offer this service, which is to create basically responsive design. So if someone's doing a search, especially a consumer, we we're helping with a, a new launch of an OTC product. And in time, what we're excited to, to help with is responsive design. So if someone does a query and then rather than just serve them up a landing page, serve them up a landing page that's custom to their query. So they see their question, their language in the content. That's how we can use data to drive great creative. Yes, with insights. Yes, with optimization, but actually customizing the content so it's a more personalized experience to drive relevance and push toward continuous engagement with our customers. Sure. George, you had one, something you wanted to add? I'll add one small piece to that, and that is... Because what Bob, that's, that's really cool. I didn't even know we were doing that. (laughs) (laughs) We got to spend more time together, George. (laughs) But I look at just things on, on as Bob's on the agency side, I'm on the solution side, but on the solutions world, I even make it almost so much more simple that when I meet with brands, it starts, it's like a groundhog's day conversation. We talk about all of the players that we need to engage. We've got to get the cardiologist. We've got to get, you know, the primary care, we, all these people. So then we talk about creative. We go, great. How many creatives do we have? We've got three and they're just the same three for everybody. You're like, come on. So we really need personalized creative for not only the specialties, But even the job types, you know, we talk about, oh, we're going to commit to rheumatology nurses or oncology nurses or even the office manager. And yet we repurpose and banners aren't that expensive to create. I mean, it's just that now you put them inside of a platform that can deploy them again with more of a precision intelligence. Now you really are personalizing it for all these people you've claimed were important to you. But yet you just serve them the same meal you're serving everybody else at the end of the day. So that's just a basic thing that I think people could begin to do that, again, doesn't cost a lot of money that would make all the difference at the end of the day with your personalization of your touch points. 
Sure, sure. It sounds like the move to Omnichannel is going to be a, a longish, uh, I'll say, journey. But thank you for uh, explaining some of the ways that we're getting there. And uh, you know, to that end, I hope we can do this again, have another conversation as the industry gets further along in its evolution. George and Bob, thanks so much for joining me today. Thank you, Mark. Yeah, thanks for having us.